bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. I'm in Boston today, and it's Tuesday, June 18, 2013. This week, I'll begin with a quick update on the gap accounting treatment for affordable housing tax credit investments, and potentially other tax credit investments. Then, I have two exciting updates in our new market tax credit segment. First, I'll review the provisions of a bipartisan bill introduced in the Senate to permanently extend the new market tax credit. And second, I'll review key deadlines in the CDFI Fund's first application round for the CDFI Bond Guarantee Program. In our historic tax credit section, I'll discuss the provisions of legislation that has been passed in Louisiana to extend that state's historic tax credit. Then, in our long-commencing tax credit segment, I'll update listeners on the status of a legislative provision that would help prevent communities from losing their rural status. Such loss would endanger funding for affordable housing in those communities. And finally, in our Renewable Energy Tax Credit discussion, I'll share a few highlights from a recent Solar Energy Industries Association, SIA, report about solar installation activity in the first quarter of 2013, and news about a state-level development intended to encourage renewable energy investment in Nebraska. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, on the effective yield gap accounting front, yesterday, June 17th, was the deadline for submitting comment letters on the proposed accounting standards update regarding affordable housing investments. As I record this podcast, 62 comment letters are available for review on the FASB website. If you look at the letters, you'll note that there's lots of support for expanding the use of the effective yield method beyond just those investments that have a guarantee from a creditworthy party. There's also support for adoption of an alternative ratable amortization method. You'll note the Novogratian Company letter does support such an alternative. There's also considerable support for expanding the more accurate effective yield or ratable accrual accounting treatment to other types of investments when those investments meet the same enumerated four criteria. Tax credits mentioned include the new market tax credit, historic tax credits, and renewable energy tax credits. You can follow me and Novogratz and Company on Twitter for updates as this exposure draft process moves forward. And in the interim, if you have any questions, I encourage you to contact my partner, Bentley Stanton, in our Atlanta, Georgia office. In new market tax credit news, we have great news. Senators Jay Rockefeller and Roy Blunt introduced a bipartisan bill that would make the New Market Tax Credit a permanent part of the tax code. The New Market Tax Credit Act of 2013 would set the CDFI Fund's initial allocation authority at the current level of $3.5 billion. However, 
it would retroactively index it for inflation back to the year 2000, such that the actual amount would be about $4.8 billion. The bill would also provide for future indexing for inflation, as well as AMT relief, such that the new market tax credit could offset the alternative minimum tax. In a statement about the bill's introduction, Senator Blunt said that the bill would encourage continued investment growth as well as job creation in low-income communities nationwide. The legislation is currently co-sponsored by Senators Ben Cardin, Susan Collins, and Maria Cantwell. And we understand that Senator Murkowski from Alaska has expressed strong support from the bill. The legislation has been referred to the Senate Committee on Finance. You can find a copy of the bill at www.newmarketscredits.com. This bill's introduction is obviously welcome news to new market tax credit advocates. Permanence and expanded funding for the program are two initiatives that the new market tax credit industry have long urged legislators to support. We recently spoke with several CDEs and CDFIs for a special new market tax credit industry update in the next issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. They all agreed that expansion and permanence of the new market tax credit would make the program more effective and more efficient. First of all, more allocation authority means more incentives for investment in low-income communities. Of the 282 applicants requesting nearly $22 billion in new market tax credit authority in the 2012 funding round, the CDFI fund could only award 85 organizations $3.5 billion. And second, program permanence would make transactions more efficient. CDEs and their financing partners would no longer have to worry about whether or not the program will continue to exist, and as such, they could devote more time and resources to the actual projects and create systems to help drive down further transaction costs. Look for the New Market Tax Credit Market Update in the July issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. And if you haven't subscribed to the journal yet, I encourage you to do so. Go to www.novoco.com. It's a must-read every month. Now let's turn to the CDFI Bond Guarantee Program. Last week, the CDFI Fund opened the inaugural application period for the CDFI Bond Guarantee Program. The CDFI Fund has posted the application documents to its website. The CDFI Fund will make up to $500 million in bond guarantee authority available to eligible CDFIs in fiscal year 2013. Under the program, CDFIs or their designees will issue federally backed bonds and they'll use the proceeds to extend credit to the CDFI industry for community development projects. These bonds will provide a source of long-term patient capital to CDFIs. I'll explain a little bit more about the specifics of the program in a moment, but first I'd like to draw your attention to the program's rapidly approaching application deadlines. The two most important dates are July 1 and July 17th. July 1 is the deadline for financial institutions and trust companies to submit proposals to become the program's master servicer trustee. The master servicer trustee will perform those duties typical to a master servicer or trustee of a federal bond program. The CDFI fund will take questions about the master servicer trustee request for proposals until June 28th. 
July 17th at midnight, Eastern Daylight Time, qualified issuer applications and guarantee applications are due. These are the applications that the CDFI fund will use to award bond guarantee authority to qualified CDFIs. The CDFI bond guarantee program directs the Treasury Department to guarantee the full amount of notes or bonds issued to support CDFIs that make investments for eligible community or economic development purposes. The CDFI fund reports that the Treasury Secretary may guarantee up to five bonds in fiscal year 2013. The minimum amount of each bond will be $100 million. Treasury will issue a total of up to $500 million in bond guarantee authority. Eligible CDFIs can pull together for a single $100 million minimum bond issuance. For pooled issuances, each eligible CDFI must provide a minimum of $10 million. To help applicants understand and complete their applications, the CDFI fund is offering two workshops on the fiscal year 2013 qualified issuer and guarantee application requirements. The first two-day workshop begins today, June 18th, and runs through tomorrow, June 19th. Then a second two-day workshop begins Thursday, June 20th, and runs through Friday, June 21st. Both workshops are in Washington, D.C. The June 20 workshop will also be available via webcast. The City of Fife has said that it anticipates announcing awards in the fall. This is a tentative date and will keep you updated on any changes. Now, because of the short application timeline, I suggest you contact Owen Gray, a partner in our San Francisco office, at owen.gray at novaco.com or Diana Letzinger, a partner in our Long Beach office, at diana.letzinger at novaco.com. I encourage you to contact them as soon as possible if you're interested in the program. You can also reach them by phone by calling our San Francisco or Long Beach Novogratic office. And if you want to read more about the Bond Guarantee Program, please visit www.newmarketscredits.com and click on the Bond Guarantee Program link under Related Programs. In historic tax credit news, Louisiana legislators have passed a bill that would extend the state historic rehabilitation tax credit. House Bill 630 extends the sunset of the program from January 1, 2016 to January 1, 2018. If enacted, the bill would allow a single taxpayer to claim $5 million of credit per year. Now, current law limits each taxpayer to receiving no more than $5 million of credit total in the program. And according to the bill's fiscal note, removing this $5 million overall cap on credits for a single taxpayer will allow continual participation in the program by taxpayers who reach that mark. However, it won't change the overall program costs. There were also changes made to streamline administration of the credit. For instance, tax credit recipients are no longer required to notify the State District Preservation Office of Credit Transfers. They must only notify the State Department of Revenue. The bill does retain the tax credit percentage at its current rate of 25% of eligible costs. House Bill 630 successful passage through both Louisiana chambers is encouraging news for state tax credit advocates. It passed the House with a vote of 67 to 30 in favor, and it passed the Senate with an even larger margin of 78 to 8. This is just the latest example of growing tax credit support in Louisiana. Regular listeners may remember from last month that tax credit advocacy efforts help prevent millions in proposed budget cuts to state tax credit programs. 
Last month, we also talked about legislation regarding Louisiana's New Markets Jobs Tax Credit Program. Incidentally, both the New Markets Bill and the Historic Tax Credit Bill were sponsored by Democratic and Speaker Pro Tem Walter Leger. Both the Historic Reputation Tax Credit and New Markets Bill were signed by the Senate President on June 6th and sent to Governor Bobby Jindal for executive approval. You can find a copy of both bills at www.novaco.com. I wanted to, before I wrapped up today's historic tax credit section, to remind listeners that the nomination deadline for the Novaco Journal of Tax Credits Historic Rehabilitation Awards is tomorrow, June 19th. There's not much time, but there still is time to nominate a deserving historic rehabilitation project. You can learn more about submitting an application at www.historictaxcredits.com or simply call 415-356-7995. If you believe your project is worthy or you know a project that is worthy, please take a moment to submit an application. In low-income housing tax credit news, I want to first remind listeners that it's not too late to join us in Chicago this week at the inaugural Novogratic Nonprofit Developers Tax Credit Conference. The co-hosts and moderators include my partners, Renee Beaver, Brad Elphick, Molly O'Dell, and Fong Tran. Also, we have several leading attorneys in the area of nonprofit law, and particularly with respect to the low-income housing tax credit. Those attorneys include Glenn Graff and Debbie Cleveland with Applegate Thorne and Thompson, as well as Holly Heer and Mike Saad with Squire Sanders, Scott Lindquist with Denton's, and Randy Shore. I also want to thank Joe Hagan with the National Equity Fund and Peter Lawrence with Enterprise for taking the lead on the Washington Wire panel in Chicago this week. To register, go to www.novoco.com. There's a Nonprofit Developers Basics Day on Wednesday and the full conference on Thursday. Now let's turn to lawmakers who are considering farm bills with certain rural status provisions. Specifically, I have an update on a topic that we've been following since last year. In the Senate, last week, they passed a bill with provision that would help protect communities that are in danger of losing their rural status and, more importantly, the financial benefits that go along with such status. As regular listeners may know, for the past few years, rural designation for USDA programs was determined using population data from the 2000 census. Beginning October 1st of this fiscal year, current law would require USDA to start using the 2010 census. This means that some areas considered rural using the 2000 census would no longer qualify using 2010 data. A provision in Senate Bill 954, also known as the Farm Bill, would ensure that rural communities in danger of losing eligibility under the 2010 census data could retain their rural status through 2020. The bill was written by Senate Banking Chairman Tim Johnson. The provision also raises the population limit for the definition of rural areas from 25,000 to 35,000 people. To keep rural eligibility, however, communities would still need to be rural in character and have a significant lack of mortgage credit 
for lower and moderate income families. I note that the Senate passed this bill last week with a vote of 66 to 27 in favor. Now, turning to the House, on June 13th, the House Appropriations Committee marked up and approved by a voice vote the Fiscal Year 2014 Agriculture and Rural Development Bill. Representative Jeff Fortenberry offered the only housing-related amendment, and it was adopted. His amendment extends through Fiscal Year 2014 a provision in the Fiscal Year 2013 Agriculture Appropriations Bill that allows any area currently considered rural for the purposes of eligibility for USDA's rural housing programs to continue to be considered rural. Agriculture Rural Development Appropriations Subcommittee Chairman Robert Anderholt expressed his support for the amendment, and the amendment was adopted by voice vote. House leadership has indicated that they intend to bring the bill to the full floor for consideration later this month. Now, what does this mean for affordable housing? As many of you know, this has been a hot topic over the past year. The LIHTC Working Group sent a letter to the Internal Revenue Service earlier this year requesting guidance on the potential loss of rural status for affordable housing properties. Last September, a grandfather clause, which had been renewed multiple times since 1983, had expired. That meant that numerous properties that previously qualified under the grandfathering clause could lose their rural status and the benefits of that status unless Congress passed legislation addressing the definition of rural. And as I mentioned in previous podcasts, that loss could affect future development of local housing tax properties and access to loans and other funding sources. Finally, another outcome is that properties financed with 9% local housing tax credits in affected areas would lose the ability to use the national non-metropolitan median income in determining Section 42 rent and income limits. And it's the income limits that's probably the most important feature in terms of ensuring enough qualified tenants. All in all, this would greatly reduce the feasibility of developing affordable housing in rural areas if this status was lost. So it's encouraging to see with this recent legislation that lawmakers have recognized, at least in part, the importance of affordable housing development, especially in low-income rural areas. We'll continue to monitor this legislation, and hopefully it does become law before September 30th of this year. In renewable energy tax credit news, the United States installed 723 megawatts of solar energy in the first quarter of 2013. This, according to data released last week by GTM Research and the Solar Energy Industries Association. This accounted for more than 48% of all new electric capacity installed in the United States during that time. The group says these installations represent the best first quarter of any given year for the industry. Moreover, the data shows that the utility market more than doubled year over year with 24 utility PV projects completed in the first quarter of 2013. More information is available in the report which, in addition to presenting installation figures, provides analysis of the projected effect of the December 31, 2016 expiration of the higher rate of the investment tax credit. It also, this report, shows how this expiration could affect individual state markets. That report can be found online 
at www.cia.org. www.cia.org. The report stands as a good reminder that the December 31, 2016 expiration date of the higher investment tax credit percentage is going to be getting awfully close and start to become very relevant in the not-too-distant future. Now let's turn to the state level. I have an update on an item that we first discussed in May. Earlier this month, after some debate, Nebraska Governor Dave Heineman signed LB-104 into law. LB-104 provides sales tax exemptions for the purchase of wind turbines, towers, and other wind farm components. Media reports indicate the governor's support was, and I quote, reluctant because of a provision that opponents have argued will give a Kansas-based company a special tax break. Supporters of the new law assert that it will help Nebraska compete with states such as Iowa, Kansas, and Oklahoma in developing wind energy. A copy of LB 104 can be found online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novoco.com.